strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you being here. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. We're going to talk about the economy and overall what's going on, what's happening around the country. One of the big things that says food banks are preparing for emergency benefits to go away as Americans struggle to make ends meet. So I reached out to my friends over to, to my friends over at St. Mary's Food Bank. I talked with Jerry via text message this morning, and he said, you know, Arizona reduced its SNAP program about a year ago. We knew this was happening then, which is why they have seen such a spike at, at St. Mary's Food Bank. And it's not just them. It's, it's others as well. I just happen to know know them the best, but there's United Food Bank, St. Vincent de Paul. I don't want to leave people out because as an industry, they do such great work feeding hungry people here in Arizona. Um, he was talking about the peak and where they are um, and, and what's going on, and it's pretty amazing that they are feeding over 1,300 families a day. We normally get a, low, a lull after the holidays, but not this year. Um, people are still hurting. So as we have this economic discussion, and I, I try in my mind anyway, I divide it into two camps. One is going to be the politics of it because – Obviously, our political leaders, our, poli- our elected officials are the ones that direct the policy that goes one way or another in <clears throat> one direction or another with the economy. So the, the policies do matter. There is a political element and there is a huge political benefit or, or um, I would say um, deficit to the word Inflation and to the word recession. No president wants to be a part of a recession. You saw what happened again. It, it, it's not just in one camp or the other. Um, I was and I remain someone that was very supportive of George W. Bush. I, I thought he is. I think he is a great human being. What little I know of him. I am glad that the public perception of him has changed with his work for veterans, the kindness and the goodness and the funny, how funny he is as a human being. But um, even I was disappointed in how his presidency ended and, and, and that time when the recession happened, when the big recession happened in 2008, 2009, as we watch that 2008 election play out, John McCain was the Republican nominee for president. What the Obama campaign did was brilliant and probably necessary to win the race. They connected the Bush economy to the McCain economy. Fair or unfair, that's what they did. Well, right now, the Biden economy, as Americans are being asked, are you better off this year than you were last year? There has been the worst response in the history of this poll is going on right now. That's the politics. But I want to stay away from that for a moment. I want to go with the reality of it for a minute. Um. Again, and I want to be I want this disclaimer because there are people that listen to this show that don't agree with me politically. Any political statement or belief that is expressed here just because I'm talking about my relationship or my um, my love for these organizations doesn't mean they think or act like me at all. They are apolitical, which is what I love about them. I've never had a political discussion about my stances on politics with anybody at St. Mary's Food Bank or St. Vincent de Paul. I don't ask. They don't ask me. We just genuinely together want to help feed hungry people. I've been to United Food Bank on a number of occasions trying to raise awareness there out in the East Valley, and it's just these are organizations who are dedicated to feeding the hungry people around us. They are still seeing record levels, so I'm going to ask again, or I'm going to throw this out there again. 
There is, I talk about intentional growth, intentional, intentional, intentional. The older I get, the more I realize that when you're younger and when things are at its infancy, when things are new, uh, especially when you're young, you can be a superstar with just talent. If you're fast, you're going to be the, one of the best kids on the team. If you can throw hard, you're going to be a great pitcher. All of these things are possible as a young person based on just raw talent. It can carry you through high school and you can be a superstar. But you know what? If you Even if you go to a small school on a scholarship for athletics, when you get there, there are 50 other kids in your position at that school that were just as good in the superstars in their school. Now you got to work harder. Now you have to have a work ethic and you have to have some intentional uh, focus on how you're going to become the best. It gets even harder at the professional level. The intentional way that they do things Let's go with just St. Mary's Food Bank. When they say that they can feed five families or six families or seven families for a dollar, and the statistics fluctuate based on the cost of food, but the enormous return on investment is why I love working with these organizations for a couple of reasons. Number one, they have their finger on the pulse of the problem. They deal in it every single day. They're experts at it. Secondly, their focus on um, efficiency. When you volunteer, there's not a moment of your time that's wasted. You're not just standing around. You feel like you're accomplishing something. And um, they also squeeze every penny out of every dollar. So that's why I'm such a big advocate for them. I just had we just had St. Vincent de Paul here in studio recently talking about their fight against homelessness and trying to get people not just off the streets, but into a home of their own and moving in that direction. I've been to United Food Bank, who also does fantastic work. And you know how much I love St. Mary's, the original. I call them the OG. They're the original food bank in this country and right here in Arizona, the original food bank. They are it. And um I would say now is the time. If you have, again, if you have an opportunity, there is usually a lull of need after the holidays. There is also that goes along with that lull is a lull in awareness. We do pay attention at Thanksgiving because we are so blessed with a full table. So we buy extra food for those that may not have enough. Same thing at Christmas time. And I think it's those are all wonderful things. But when you are hearing people answer the question now, forget the politics of it, that they are worse off now than they've ever been. And there are more people that are responding that way to that poll question. We are going to need a concerted effort that goes beyond the holidays. We are now in the month of March. The need is still at historic levels. If you have an organization you love, donate today. I'm going to do another hundred bucks. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to put the challenge up on social media. Um, if you can, whatever you can afford, you know, if five bucks feeds a family, you know, that's pretty amazing. Or you can, yeah, you know, five bucks or uh, five dollars. It's just an incredible amount of money. Five meals for a dollar. Um, you are doing something pretty amazing for a family. So um, I'm going to ask about intentional giving while we're talking about this issue. We are still seeing a very strong movement in the economy in Arizona. The real estate market remains stable. We are still seeing the job market remains good. But we also understand that because of the immense inflation that's out there, there was a reduction in, go- in government, which I'm okay with, by the way. I'm not someone that is against um this reduction in government help because the more efficient help comes from these private organizations. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to advocate for the government to not be the safety net all the time for people, that means we have to be. 
And are we going to step up to the plate? Are we going to say, yes, I will? I can. I'm in a position. I got 10 bucks. I got 20 bucks. I got 100 bucks. Whatever it is, if we make the effort, we can get results. Coming up in a moment, the former Attorney General Bill Barr makes a comment of how the U.S. can and should go after the drug cartels in Mexico. I'll give you details coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Um, going to talk about the border in a different way uh, as more and more people are raising their voice and what we should do. And it is about security. This is about a national security piece of this. Uh, so as as much as we talk about things being divided up and, and there are three different things dealing with this issue, one of them is border security. There's the immigration part of it. And then there's commerce and trade specifically on border security and why it's so important. It isn't just about and it, this is a significant part of it, but it isn't just a, about the people that we don't know that are crossing into this country, what we call gotaways, the ones that they don't catch, that are not presenting themselves for asylum, but are running into this country. We know that there has been a significant increase in the number of people on the terror watch list that have crossed our southern border. There's a story as we get deeper into the border issue that now the northern border is being overrun with people that are coming from countries around the world, and it's now in Vermont and in New York. And those places now are starting to see what border towns in southern Arizona are feeling. Uh, The former attorney general is talking about the cartels themselves and thinks that the U.S. military should fight narco terrorist cartels in Mexico like we did ISIS. Now, I can't imagine an agreement. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be asked for and responded to affirmatively where the United States military is going to move assets and move people into Mexico to fight a war on the streets against the cartels like we did door-to-door and and getting out terrorists, al-Qaeda, and ISIS terrorists in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, We do understand that the vacuum that we created, we've learned a lot of lessons about terrorism, that when we pulled out of Iraq the way we did, we created a vacuum and the uprising of ISIS happened. There was a time when ISIS controlled the entire border of Iraq and Syria. We understand that pulling out of Afghanistan, the Taliban, and what they've now done with that country, Uh, It's not about laying blame. It's about recognizing the vacuum that's created when we aren't there. But did it solve a problem? The answer is those wars did not solve a problem. If you're advocating now that we treat the narco terrorists or the drug cartels as terrorists, we designate them a terrorist organization. Do we have – will we have the um, agreement of the Mexican government – to treat them as such. I, I just ranted about this yesterday in the 1980s with what happened in the drug cartels, what happened then in the early uh, 1990s when uh, President George H.W. Bush was in office in that time period, late 80s, early 90s, um, that we saw a significant push against the cartels in um, Colombia. The Medellin cartel led by Pablo Escobar, the the Cali cartel and others. And there was a significant diminishing of their capabilities when U.S. assets were used to train Colombian police, when we they used our equipment, when our troops or our people, our government agents were specifically there and involved. Is it getting bad enough in Mexico to do the exact same thing? Is it necessary? When fentanyl is the number one killer of young Americans across our country, it is no longer just in border states. This is across the country we're seeing this. 
I'm not advocating for it. I'm not against it. I'm asking the question for all of us to ponder. Um, are we taking this situation seriously enough and what can be done? Throwing money at the problem and saying that these are impoverished nations, not just Mexico, but impoverished nations where people are coming from, where we're seeing this uprising in criminality and we're seeing a lot of these things happen. We're saying these are people that don't have any other choice and this is how they make a living and the cartels are threatening them. So what do we do? That to me is the biggest question of all. What do we do? Barr argued that the Mexican government has allowed fentanyl and other deadly drugs to be shipped to the United States and that under such circumstances, the U.S. has the right to defend itself. So let's kind of move that along because they are A, our neighbor, and B, we have the USMCA agreement with the nation of Mexico. Are they complicit or are they being held hostage? Those are two different things, but great questions, meaning if they're complicit, they would want nothing to do with the American government disrupting what's going on in that country as a government. If they're being held hostage, if we were to liberate them from being the hostage takers as the cartels, we were to diminish the power of the cartels by taking out the leadership and, and destroying some of their networks, would the Mexican government and the Mexican people be relieved and happy that we got rid of them and allowed them to be stable and prosperous? These are all questions that have to be dealt with. Um, but there's more and more stories. The U.S. must defeat Mexico's drug cartels. This is an opinion commentary in the Wall Street Journal about how bad it's getting in Mexico. It is not an easy solution to this problem. But you know, I think most people know that what we see happening now is very little to nothing. The vice president of the United States is absolutely AWOL on this issue. She is absent from this issue. She has done nothing to, to further this cause. They have given us nothing but lip service from the White House. They have changed policy about asylum seekers crossing into this country. That is a step in the right direction. But this problem is so big and so complex that it's going to take more than that policy shift. It's going to take a concerted effort, and it's going to take a worldwide message that, A, our border is closed, stop coming, but it's also going to be to the people that are bringing these drugs. It is a poison. There is actually somebody out there that called it poison. They called it chemical warfare, that they are poisoning the American people. Many, it's an, And again, to add one more level of complexity, these drugs are coming here. And they're being manufactured with a lot of the ingredients that are being shipped to Mexico from China. So now add that element into it. Is China is that are they more than a trade, uh, 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 a trading adversary, an economic adversary? Because if they are, this is the question we have to start asking ourselves is how much do we stand up to China and say, stop, stop shipping these ingredients to Mexico. You know what it's being used for. You're a part of the problem in our country. And it's this, again, is a very complex problem that needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. In a moment, um, every year I uh, do – I participate in Read Across America. I think it's an important awareness for children to know that it's fun to read and that they should learn to read it at an early age. And I'm going to be going out to a school uh, to, to read, and I've got a principal that's coming on to talk about this. It's the principal of the Freedom Traditional Academy. Her name is Connie Wolford, and I want to talk to her about the success rate of academics at her school, what makes that school different, and the importance of reading overall from an educator. We'll have that conversation next.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, happy Friday. Um, I participate uh, each year. I try to as much as I can. I try to participate and read across America. Um, I have a lot of respect for the teachers that are teaching our children to read. Is the one skill that will that will be a benefit to you for the rest of your life. They say that up until third grade, you learn to read, and after third grade, you read to learn, and that carries on for the rest of your life. So that's why I think it's an important program. I love being a part of it. Um, I love reading to the kids, and they ask questions after, and it's just a fun conversation with kids in elementary school. Well, joining us right now is the principal of the Freedom Traditional Academy. Her name is Connie Wolford. Miss Wolford, uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Let's talk about the success of the academy. Can you tell us how your school is different maybe from other schools? Sure. Um, we're a traditional school in a public school um, setting, and uh, we are accelerated in math by one year. Um, and it's just the back-to-basics approach uh, where we have traditional literature. We do cursive, um, and uh, we don't have the, the technology like other schools. So when you go into the classrooms, you'll see textbooks out, um, paper and, and pencil. And um, it's really, you know, it's all about the kids um, making sure that they succeed in everything that they do. So how do your, you know, we know what the averages are. We know what they're saying the state of Arizona and nationally. We've seen a huge diminishing of skills in uh, proficiency, I should say, in math and reading. How does your school stack up against that average? Right now, um, we are um, number eight in the state. So that's a huge celebration. It's a lot of work. and But we've been really lucky because we have a, a really high um highly involved parents and then my staff is just phenomenal because they're very hardworking and very selfless um, and then honestly when you come on campus these kids they're all here for one reason so just with everything all those moving parts um, we're able to do a really good job here Connie Wolford joins us. She is the principal of the Freedom Traditional Academy out in the West Valley, the Dysart Unified School District in Surprise. So let's talk about uh, education as a whole. You're an educator. How many years have you been in education? Fifteen years. So in your time in education, do do you share best practices? Do you reach out to other schools? So if you're number eight, do you reach out to number four on the list and ask them and kind of uh, talk about what you are doing for best practices to maybe share with other schools that are struggling? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's um, that's actually just what education in general is about, from the teachers to administrators. Um, it's by going out, and we call it PLC, so just really networking with other educators and finding out, okay, what's working for you, what doesn't work, and, um, and definitely um, just making sure that we're all uh, working together, because it's all about kids in the end. How do we take the politics out of education. Now, I'm a part of it because I talk about it all the time. I talk about the areas that I think we're falling very short in educating our students. But in the end, you're right. It should be all of us as a consensus. How do we get that politics part out of it so that we can just all get to the best practices and leave everything else outside the door? Sure. You know, my first thing, my philosophy is everything that you do has to be about the kids. So honestly, if it's about, um, if your focus is mainly about the kids and making sure that they learn, because our goal is to make sure that they learn and become productive citizens in our community. Um, So if that is at the forefront, uh, I mean, it should always be at the forefront, no matter what politics is involved. And uh, what is, what are the grade levels that you have at your school? 
it's kindergarten through eighth grade. So let's talk about that because I've been such a champion for early education. Myself, my story is as, an, as a young child, I was an excellent student, straight A student until I reached high school. My parents divorced and I kind of went off the rails in education in high school. And it wasn't until I got older and got into a, a profession that I realized the tool belt that I was given in elementary school, the ability to read and perform math skills and really to continue to learn was has been such a benefit in my life. So that's why I'm such a champion for early learning. Um, how do you convey that message to the parents for their children to be that this is something they need for the rest of their lives? You know, it starts right at kindergarten, you know, and um, if you can get parent involvement by doing those parent-teacher conferences, um, we actually communicate parent to parents on a weekly basis, so they are always in the know about how their kids are doing. Um, when there's any concerns, we're able to um, tell them exactly what the, the exact skills that are needed. Um, it's so important because you're right, that early foundation, that um, if that is not done correctly, then a student will struggle with reading for for a while, if not forever. So when I when I was in school, it was phonics. That's you know that was the big key to everything, and it worked very well for me. What are the keys now? What are some of the tools that are being used in education to give these kids that early ability to read? So I mean, I can talk about freedom here at Freedom. We do Spalding, um, so it's definitely phonics based, and um, but you know there are other uh, programs as well, um, and you know not one. One thing works for everybody, so that's, as educators, we have to be able to identify the abilities um, of kids and meet them where they are. So if, um, you know, like if one program doesn't work for them, say Spalding, then, you know, we do have that intervention time where we uh, we use another strategy um, to be able to help them. Is there a special, uh, when you say you're a traditional school, does that attract a certain type of teacher or is it just kind of everybody in there, but this is the curriculum in our school? Oh, that's uh, that's a good question. We do have different curriculum. Yeah, we absolutely do. Um, but um, I think, I mean, when I look for teachers, I, I want teachers that, you know, they are ready to put in the hard work. And honestly, it goes right back to kids. I mean, it is all about the kid. Um, and um, and um, it's definitely, you have to look at state standards. Um, that's number one. So if uh, we have a hardworking staff member that always has the, the kids' well-being at the forefront of their minds and uses state standards to, um, to create that instruction, that's what I'm looking for. That's what makes it successful. Well, Ms. Wolford, congratulations on the success of the school, and I wish you much more continued success because I think that obviously an educated youth is going to be good for all of our futures. Uh, so thank you so much, and to your staff, to the teachers there, for their hard work in the lives of these young people, and, and I appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. That is Connie Wolford. She is the principal at the Freedom Traditional Academy. Uh, just another angle on education. Um, and this is that's from the, an educator. These are people that are finding success. And I just thought you'd like to hear from them and some of the things they're doing. So it was really it was terrific. Uh, coming up in a moment, a small majority believes that the 2022 election was done fairly. 55%. Shouldn't that number be much higher? And what can we do to get it much higher? All that's coming up here in just a moment. Strong Valley.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks so much for being here. I had a great time yesterday. I was out in Mesa. Uh, I was speaking to the Mesa Republican Women's Club. They have a huge meeting, a couple of hundred people out there. Spent some time with Congressman Biggs. He was in town. Got to see some some friends and some people I hadn't seen in a long time. But it was a conversation um, just about, in my opinion, what I they asked me to speak. So I told them what I thought about where we should be focused and what we should be doing. Um, I will tell you that if I believed, if I firmly believed that I lost an election unfairly, if I thought, then I would fight it. Uh, but there would come a time when it's time to move forward. I will tell you that where we are, and I think this is where it's detrimental, um, and I'm going to give you the headline first and what's taking me down this road. Most Arizona Republicans don't think the election was stolen from Kerry Lake, according to a poll. Now, polls can fluctuate. We know that in the in the basic study, 55% of respondents in Arizona, all Republican, Democrat, and Independent, a total of the three, 55% believe the election was fair, which means an overwhelming number of Republicans believe it was unfair. Um, and, and then there's an overwhelming number of, of, of uh, Democrats that believe it was fair, and independents by a small margin say it was fair. So I would say, based on that information, that elections officials have a lot of work to do. That uh, when you've got almost a 50-50 split of independent voters that are saying the elections weren't fair. I mean, it was pretty even, the split between fair and unfair. It was a small majority in that, you know, the demo, and I will tell you that if the roles were reversed in the election, let's go back to 2016, when there was a huge number of Democrats that believed the election was stolen from Hillary Clinton. So, you know, it depends on who wins and who loses sometimes. But what's interesting, the anomaly in this study is about Kerry Lake, where they the, the majority, according to this, um, in the survey conducted February, January 31st to February 9th, Phoenix-based Research OH Predictive Insights said, while the election was not run perfectly, there is no credible evidence of voter fraud that was widespread enough to have changed the outcome of the election. Three quarters of the respondents, including 58 percent of Republican participants, choose the first statement more than 90 percent of Democrats. The second statement is evidence has been uncovered, which shows the election was stolen. So here's the deal with me with this entire topic. What it tells me is that election officials should be very aware of the fact that some of the electorate doubts the security of elections, and it's something we all should work on. The... um, The accusations that have been leveled, some of the things that have been said have been so outrageous that we end up chasing our tail. I'm going to briefly, when the audit happened, um, I was in favor of an audit. I think an audit is a good thing. Any one of us out there, when it comes to the money that our government spends in Washington, D.C., when you find out that the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, cannot account for hundreds of billions of dollars worth of equipment, when I say to you, why don't we audit the DOD to find out how they're missing and losing all this equipment? Nobody would run from the phrase audit. Nobody would think that was a bad idea. I thought an audit was a prudent thing to do often. I think we should do it every – we do a census every 10 years. Why are we not auditing at least every 10 years, auditing how we're doing elections to make sure we're using best practices? My problem was the way that it was done. From day one, they hired a company that in hindsight – I don't – listen, I don't like the I told you so stuff. This is a very important thing. But I told you. 
the cyber ninjas in their wheelhouse may be immensely, or they're not around anymore, but when they were around, they might have been immensely effective in their wheelhouse. It's not what they do. I, I've mentioned, you know, I was diagnosed a couple of years ago with severe hypertension, which I didn't know I had, high blood pressure. Um, my doctor has been my doctor for almost 30 years. He is amazing. He will always be my doctor as long as he's in practice. I went to him. He tried to lower my blood pressure with medication and the standard things you do, and he wasn't able to. So he said, go see this cardiologist. I've got a great cardiologist named Dr. Byrne, and uh, they've gotten me under control along with a sleep doctor and, 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 and one of those machines, those BiPAP machines. My point is that when you are good at something, and my doctor is amazing at what he does, but he's not a specialist in this other area. It required a specialist to get what I had under control. We didn't do that in Arizona. The audit was run crazily. They were looking for the bamboo in the paper. They were doing all of these conspiracy chasing things instead of looking at where are the areas in our election that we can improve. Now, there are some people at the state capitol that are dedicated to this on both sides of the aisle, I would tell you. But certainly there are Republicans down there that are saying we need to improve our elections. I think the most people in Arizona would say and across the country, you should have to show an ID to vote. It's not oppressing anybody's ability to vote. You should have to produce an ID to vote. That doesn't sound unreasonable. If we are going to continue with early voting, and I believe we will, and I'll go further and say I believe we should. I think it's become a part of who we are, and when it's done the right way like it's done in Maricopa County, I think you can track them better. But that doesn't mean it's perfect. We could clear up those early voter rolls, and we should. The idea that if you don't vote in two consecutive election cycles, that the elections department sends you a postcard and says, A, are you still alive? B, do you still live at this address? And C, do you still want to receive an early ballot? And you have to answer affirmatively to all three of those questions, or you're going to be taken off the early voter rolls, doesn't seem to me that it's oppressing anybody. And what it would do is go a long way to make sure that when they mail you a ballot, it's going to the right person at the right house. There are just some simple things that people are fighting for. And instead of having those conversations, we're having these outrageous conversations about drug cartels and 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 stolen deeds and money laundering. And and instead of having and, and they've got to look, it's time the legislature took a look at these numbers and say, listen, this is not just fringe that believes this. There are reasonable people out there that are asking questions about the veracity of our elections. We have to do something to reassure the voters. And there's nothing unreasonable about that. We've got to let the reasonable people speak on this. And I hope they will. I hope they will. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, um, how much does it matter what the origins of COVID-19 are? Um, the people that were told that it was uh, it was through animal contact and it wasn't through a lab leak and now it might be reversed. We'll talk about the importance of it next.